Like, I started stand-up comedy literally because, like I said, Lewis convinced me to do it. But when I would go to comedy clubs, and I was like 23, and I would just watch stand-up comedians, and I just thought it was the most beautiful thing. It's just like so romantic. And like, like you just get up on stage with no, nothing except your mind, and then you just like bring laughter to a room full of people. It's just like the most beautiful thing. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Robert Patton Global Podcast. I am here with the libertarian Tupac uh, himself, Dave Smith. What's up, brother? I'm, we're here at Skankfest, and I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, hang out with me and have a little chat. Absolutely. My pleasure. On my rink-a-dink podcast, <laughs> Robert Patton Global. Um, you are one of the legends that we... Uh, promote and sponsor your podcast, Part of the Problem. It's probably my favorite podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I listen to everyone, and um, I miss a couple, I guess, But because you do like three a week. I do. But Not this week, though, unfortunately. <laughs> um, this week, I fell all behind because Gangfest has been crazy. But uh, yeah, no, we, I, I'm very appreciative of you guys being such a longtime uh, supporter. Yeah. Us. I believe you're my longest running... Uh, Advertiser. Wow. So I'd have to have someone double check me on that, but I'm pretty sure you are. And it's a great product. I'm wearing them right now. I am too. And so, like, I typically sponsor people that we're fans of. So it's like a win win. Yeah, dude, there's something really beautiful about uh, business. Like, there's, you know, absent like government involvement, because then it gets kind of, you know, fucked up if you're like government contracts or something like that. But there's something really beautiful about every single level of business. Like down to like, I remember when I was uh, when I was like 10, I guess it was like my first job, not technically a job, but in Brooklyn, we used to always just, the kids would do is you offered to shovel snow during the mm -hmm. winter. And you could go, you know, they give you like five bucks or whatever. And like in the early 90s, that was actually something to a yeah. kid. And you just shovel the snow. And it's like this thing where you're just kind of like, you're just like going around being useful. And as a 10-year-old, you're pretty rarely useful to anyone, you know? Yeah. And you're like, and then you get money for it. And like, at every level, and it's just cool that, um, you know, like, we do this, like, this alternative podcast thing that just kind of became a thing with the internet. And it's like, oh, it doesn't have to be on TV anymore. Now it can just be over here on the internet. And then, like, you can just find companies who are like, hey, I really like the thing you're doing. And then you're like, oh, well, I can get you in front of all these eyeballs. And, like, we can both help each other. I don't know. I just, they, there's something... Really beautiful about it to me. It is a win-win. Man, that was like, a gay way to start this podcast. I apologize. True, that's like capitalism at its finest, mm -hmm. I guess, and the this for that, bartering. Yeah. And I just so ha I'm getting, you know, A, I get to, I'm talking to you right now, which is also pretty cool. It's opened a lot of doors yeah. to people I'm fans of. And you get paid, we get paid, the audience gets a benefit, yep. and we deliver a really good product. I mean, I don't even really want to talk about the product, but it... I'm gonna get into one thing because this guy, he posted a video seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Never paid him, never met him. He's out of the UK talking about sheep and gave us a decent review. Well, this week he posted another video seven years later and he's like, I still got the same pair. They're still holding up. And I, you know, and so it's, 
we're very fortunate as a company to have a good manufacturer. Yeah. And so, because that was kind of. Well, even like the, like everything you guys make is quality. I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't just say this for that, like the shirts you wear, you put them on, and you're like, oh, this is like a nice shirt. It feels good. The underwear is like, oh, this feels really good. And there is also an element to capitalism. I and mean, I, people, I'm not, it's not that it's perfect. Like, there are people who make shitty products, there are scams and stuff like that. But there is a tendency to weed that out. You know what I mean? You, got, you figure that out pretty fast. Like, when you're making shit, after a while, people are like, oh, I'm not going to buy that again. Exactly. It's crappy. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I think you guys do well because it is quality shit. Yeah, we're, we're really lucky. The universe is working with us on this <laughs> one because it's not, I'm not the brightest, smartest, most talented of anything. I'm very average on many levels, but. I have a big heart and just like that determination and when you put your mind to something you can really change the world yeah. in, in, in a lot of ways and you're doing that but you know and, and it's but it started with like how did it start with you and Lewis and and, and uh, Big J you know? um well, well I so I knew Lewis since I was a kid I think I met I think I was like 18 or 19 when I met Lewis and I'm 40 now so I've known Lewis for a long time um, and he he was uh, he was dating one of my sister's friends. Whoa. That's how I, I first met him. Um, and then uh, we just we just became friends, and we just started hanging out. And then like a few years later, we uh, we got an apartment. We were roommates for years. And me and Lewis were just like brothers, but you know, like kind of right away. Um, and he was uh, he was selling comedy club tickets uh, for this company, um, New Genesis. And then he left and started his own company selling, like he ran street teams, which you could just imagine. If you just know, he was like, I don't, I'm not even exaggerating when I say Lewis was the Michael Jordan of selling comedy club tickets on the street. He's hungry. He was, he was the best who's ever done it at the worst thing, you know, to be great at. But he was like, like you could imagine that, like just how good Lewis was at just stopping, chatting people up. It was like something to behold. And so he started a company doing that. And then he started producing comedy shows and he started hosting them and then he started like being like like being a comedian trying to start being a oh, comedian wow. and then he uh he just convinced me to do it i used to, i started coming to the shows and hanging out and i just loved stand up and he was like dude you're like the funniest person i know like you should fucking just do this and so then he, we started it and then years into it when the podcast thing kind of first started becoming a thing, he was like, we should do it. Like the th me, him and Jay were like best friends. Like we just always hung out together. And then we just, uh, Bobby Kelly had uh, like some old equipment. Like he got newer equipment and then he just gave Lewis like the old mics that he had. And so we were like, okay, we got equipment. And then we started doing it in uh, Lewis, and, uh, Lewis and Beatrice's living room in their one bedroom apartment. Uh, wow. And we just recorded it out of there for an audience of no one. Yeah. For, for quite a while. That's what this is going to be. Yeah, um, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll probably bring a few more numbers. <laughs> what were you doing before you were doing comedy? Um, like oh, I was, was just being a fucking shithead. I don't know. I was, uh, I mean, it wasn't like I started when I was like 23, I think. And um, I dropped out of college when I was 20 maybe so it was just like three years of like just working like bullshit jobs and just fucking being a pothead and hanging out with my friends in brooklyn and shit and uh like sounds like basically nothing yeah that sounds like my 
uh, beginnings for you yeah. know, I was like a janitor not a janitor but I was uh, I worked at a office building as a maintenance engineer changing light bulbs and mm-hmm. had the various fast food jobs and, and they really they give you nice sounding titles for bullshit jobs don't they or you were, uh, there's a maintenance engineer you go so you were de- designing computer systems for uh, maintenance and you're like no just the light bulb went out gotta change it <laughs> I shocked myself changing one of the ballasts I remember that and it's very glamorous <laughs> come a long way but we all start at the bottom you know it's mm-hmm. like these kids these days want to start off as a CEO yeah you got to put in work or be I want to be a YouTube you know, millionaire or whatever, and I guess that's fine, but people still got to make shit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I just, and like, right, and there are, um, there are definitely people who have like sad stories and people mm-hmm. who are in bad situations. We're all kind of like fortunate, you know what I mean, to have not had some wrong turn or bad, you know, act of bad luck happens, we wouldn't be where we are. But I do just have very little sympathy for people who just kind of complain about being at the bottom. Um, uh, particularly like in our society where there's just so many, I mean like it, there's so much opportunity around you everywhere. And you know, like people, they have this tendency to like, it's a very immature tendency to look at a finished product and, and kind of be like, take that as a given. Mm-hmm. Almost like, yeah, like I hear people say that to me sometimes, it would be like, uh, you're like, whatever, you know, you say that you don't have sympathy for those people, but it's like, whatever, dude, you're, you get to just do what you love and make like tons of money and like have a fun job and everything. I'm like, yeah, I do. After 15 years of fucking misery and struggling and being dead broke and being fucking evicted from apartments and fucking, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, cause I put 15 years into that. Now I get the benefits of that, but there'll be like these, like, and, and particularly with, uh, you know, just like, I've, it's not their fault. It's like they're all fucking propagandized with this shit. But particularly for like the Generation Z or whatever, they just all come into it. Their whole mind state is grievances. Mm. Everything that's wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything that's sexist or racist or oppressive or ableist or trans this. And you're like, look, I'm not even saying none of that exists. But I just don't like zoom out for a second. The starting point of humanity is we live in the fucking woods yeah. and the man goes and chases a fucking animal while the woman gives birth with no medical, you know, like technology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we inherited this yes. because for thousands of years, people worked their fingers to the bones mm-hmm. to fucking get us to this point. So how would you come into this and go, I've, you know, I've got a grievance with this whole system. It's like, okay, we could always be improving it, but like, don't you at least go like, hey, fucking thank God. Dude, my fucking baby boy was born with a heart condition that if this happened for, if, if when my mother was born, she had this heart condition, she dies. Yeah. That's it. If wow. I'm alive in the, in the 1960s and 1970s, I have a dead child. Mm-hmm. But because I'm alive in 2021, it was, he's fine. I have this perfect little boy. It's a miracle. You know what I mean? Like what's, forget anything else that you're saying, you know, like what else? really matters like how lucky are we for that it's amazing and the american dream is still alive and i'm an example of that you're an example of that but i mean a lot of immigrants moved to america over the last 20 years and and forever and they outwork our existing population they make tons of money and do really well for themselves you can do well for yourself you just gotta you know, you definitely have to work hard. Yeah. Do you um, set like goals or intentions? Are you into self-help shit? Um, 
No, not really. I mean, I'm like a. I, I'm. I really. I, I think I'm like. A, I, it sounds so like pretentious to say, but I, like I'm an artist. Like that's my like mindset, and mm-hmm. I've always been that way. I'm horrible on the business end. Um, I'm ve- like I started stand up comedy literally because. Like I said, Lewis convinced me to do it. But when I would go to comedy clubs and I was like 23 and I would just watch stand-up comedians and I just thought it was the most beautiful thing. It's just like so romantic and like like you just get up on stage with no nothing except your mind and then you just like bring laughter to a room full of people. It's just like the most beautiful thing. And I was like, I'm going to do that. You know, and then it was just like I fell in love with it. And I was like, I'm just going to do that. There was never any like plan of like how do I get to the next level of it. I was like, I just want to get really good at it. And um, and then the same thing with like libertarianism. I just fucking heard Ron Paul speaking, and I was like, "Yo, that's really fascinating." And then I just I got obsessed with it, and I just read everything. I've just obsessively read. I've read. I've consumed like every piece of libertarian literature, wow. and like I just uh, I just thought the ideas were so beautiful. So then I then I was just like, I got to talk about this shit, and that's yeah. when I started part of the problem. It was just like I have to I got to talk about this, and that so there's never really been any like. Like, I don't really have, like, a plan. I just, I go, like, I want to get on as many big shows as I can, and I want to do a great job. Where, mm-hmm. You know, like, if that's a stand-up show, I want to be hilarious. If that's, like, a podcast where we're talking about serious things, I want to, like, like really explain it in, a, in, in an, in an on-point way. Yeah. And then, you know, level up at every opportunity you get. And so that's just kind of how I... That's kind of how I do it. I really don't, I don't do anything else at this point in my life. I used to be like a big party guy and shit, but I'm just like, I'm just like, I've, I'm raising my kids, I'm loving my wife, and then I'm working. And that's my, that's pretty much all I do. And Maybe squeeze a vacation in there once in a while. Yeah. Uh, I'm wanting to go on a vacation here. We keep <laughs> talking about it. It's been years. Do you do a lot of the prep? Because everyone sees, you know, they see the finished product, they see you talking intelligently on Rogan or your own podcast or wherever. You've been on all of the like biggest podcasts. I like PBD right now. Yeah, but, it's great. Love yeah. that guy. Um, and but you know, it looks like you know, you just wake up out of bed and you you're spitting this knowledge, but I imagine there's a lot more work that goes into it. Um well, so I kind of have like because so in those years, like around like I'd say like from like late two thousand seven to maybe like two thousand thirteen, like those five years, is I really got a, like obsessed with reading all of the like libertarian literature and all of the philosophy stuff. So I kind of have that foundation, like mm-hmm. I know that stuff very well, and then what part of the problem ultimately became was like a current event show, like a show about what's mm-hmm. going on in the country now. Like mm-hmm. what's, and so I kind of, I, I can see what's going on with the current events and then have that like foundation to understand it. But so I keep up with the news, like I'm pretty uh, on top of that. Um, but I would do that even if I wasn't doing the podcast just because I'm so interested and mm-hmm. I just find the whole thing very interesting. So fascinating. Um, so I'm always on top of it and then um, you know, they'll just be, the things kind of always just present themselves. Like there's a story, it's like, okay, yeah, this is what we got to talk about. This is what we got to talk about. And then Rob is, he's like a beast himself too. So then he'll just, we just basically like shoot texts back and forth, me, him and uh, Brian, who's my producer. Yeah. And we'll find, you know, like stories and stories. And then we're just, it's, it's, it's always like almost pretty obvious. Yeah. These are the ones we got to talk about. But now. you're just like, I'm going to talk about this. And then your brain is good enough to where you can intertwine the, your foundational knowledge with the current event. And then kind of synthesize everything and come up with you know. well because it all it all just makes sense it's kind of easy in a way because uh like i'm just lucky that i read all the right people to read 
Like I just fa- I happened to fall down the right rabbit hole, which is like Ron Paul, Murray Rothbard, Ludwig von Mises, Hans Hermann Hoppe, Tom Woods, Jeff Dice, Lou Rockwell. Like those are the guys. And then you read them, and it's not like from my perspective, it's not like uh, it's not like in opinion, like these guys are objectively correct. They're describing the world the way the world actually works. So when you see the way things actually work, and then you're like, well, here's an example of how it's going down right now. It's just very easy to be like, oh, I see what what they're doing. It's mm-hmm. almost like if you like a, if you're a magician and you see another magician doing a trick that you know, it's just very easy right away to be like, no, I know it's in his sleeve. Like that's what's going on here. So it's it, it's a pretty simple thing, really. Um, and then I'm 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 pretty good with like a. Like I have, I have pretty good recall. So yeah. like if I read shit, I rem- I tend to remember That's it. That's what I'm Not saying. Always, Your attention, but it seems pretty like, like your photographic memory type. I don't know. I, I know people who have much better than me. Um, but uh, and it got it definitely got better when I stopped smoking pot. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it um I I, I I tend to remember. There'll be times that I kind of like forget things and I have to go brush up on them. You know, like they'll be like, what what was this 2012 2013? You know, like was mm-hmm. Gaddafi overthrown? It was 2010, I think. You know, it's like I, I I know people like Scott Horton who's like another level of like that that motherfucker knows every name. He knows like the middle names of every freaking you know uh, leader in the last 200 years. Um, but I'm, I tend to I tend to remember the stuff, so I'm I'm able to like you know, you know if someone brings something up, I'll remember the detail that about helps what it was when you're trying yeah. to have a conversation about the, yeah. like the world history of politics and everything. That's it's such a vast you know amount of information. I my brain is just like is it making money? No. Okay, so maybe discard that for now and sell some underwear. Um, so. One interesting thing, and I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I know a guy, his name is Mike Brancatelli. Oh, yeah, my old co-host. Yeah. So I actually met him. He lives in Denver. We went, He was a shaman at a retreat I went to, and he, so he had gone to, like, Brazil or Peru mm-hmm. or whatever and did ayahuasca. Yeah, he got real into that stuff. Yeah. yeah, and he just changed his whole life, and it's just, like, kind of a small world where... I met him and then I met Robbie and Robbie, I call him the new Mike or whatever, <laughs> but obviously it's been forever at this point. But uh, it's just, isn't that interesting how you started it with him and then he took off and then Robbie comes on or whatever, but it seems to have blown up pretty, yeah. pretty big. Yeah, well, it, it really blew. You know, Brancatelli was there for, it started to take off. He was still there when it, it started to become a, a big thing. He was, it, Brancatelli was the guy who fucking convinced me uh, to I, I had started part of the problem, and then I stopped doing it um, for a little bit. And Brancatelli was like, I don't know how he had, he was he had listened to the show and he was he was like a big fan of mine. And we were doing stand up together. And he was a, he was really funny. He had like a like a, a knack for it, but mm-hmm. I, I don't, he just didn't like dive into it. You know, um, he was always distracted with like a lot of different things he was doing. But he was the one he convinced me. He was like, "Dude, you have to bring that podcast back." Like you're, he was like, "You're the guy. You're the, like you're the voice for this shit." And I was like, "Okay, I'll do it if you do it with me." Nice. And so that's we started doing it, and then we just kind of went in different directions. Um, and I think he uh, he was figuring out some whole other stuff, you know, in his life. And then so he he left the show, and then uh, Rob Rob came in, and then it really the show really started taking off after it was me and Rob, and we just had like. Me and Rob just, uh, we were real good friends before that. We just had like a good dynamic. And, and Rob's like, su- Rob's really fucking smart and really knows his shit. He's a really funny comic. So he compliments me very well. Yeah. 
Yeah, he lets you talk and stuff and just get all your shit. He's a great co-host. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love him. He's so good to us. Robbie the Fire, check him out. Um, you are kind of like, I think you were going to say the god. You might have been say the guy, but to the this... The god? No, well, you I said wouldn't. Well, you said Brancatelli said, you're the guy. No, the guy. I don't the think guy. <laughs> no, I believe his exact quote was, he, he said, you're the voice of a generation. Which I was like, all right, you well, are settle down, dude. But well, like everyone was getting super excited when you were talking about running. Yeah, there were some, there were people who were excited about that. Twenty twenty eight. That's uh, the new plan. That's uh, yeah. Give you're gonna prep yourself a little bit more. I have a like a premonition or idea of why you wouldn't necessarily want to run. You have a family, the wife, mm -hmm. the kids. You're part of the Legion and Skanks, and. A lot of sound bites probably would not be flattering. Oh yeah, I mean, well, the idea is utterly ridiculous <laughs> on so many levels. Um, it's a it's a really sad uh, comment on the state of the liberty movement that I the am guy. the guy who everyone's like, you should be our presidential candidate, and you're like, I am a fucking like a filthy comedian, and uh, you know, I have absolutely no. The, the only thing is that I'm just really good at explaining it. Yeah. Um, and so I I'm hopefully we get you know, much, much better people. But I think honestly, like, I understand why people wanted me to do it, but I think, uh, I think my role is what I'm doing now. Yeah. Like, I think that's what You're I Tucker, should be doing. Tucker I, of libertarianism. Yeah, with my own version of yeah. that, whatever, you I know, mean, just, but like, I think I should be, I'm the guy who's supposed to go on Rogan's podcast and explain this shit. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think that's what I'm good at. And also it's just, I mean, just like in a selfish way, but I just, I really, I, I really love my life. You know, and my I, I have like my fucking dream job. I love what I do. It's just like the most I love doing stand up comedy. I love just fucking being jackasses with my best friends who are the most hilarious people in the world. And I love talking shit about politics. I just love doing all that. And I got a beautiful wife and two beautiful little kids. And I get I I'm, my schedule. I work a lot, but my schedule is very like flexible. So I get to spend a ton of time with my kids um, and uh like, I just, I don't know. I just kind of want to keep doing that. Yeah, That's, I mean, people you know, want Rogan to run for president, you know. Joe Rogan has the greatest life ever. I why, know. Why do you want to make him miserable? Yeah. Well, and it's, it is, if you don't want to do it, you, you know, obviously, it needs to, you need to be kind of called to that. But the type of people that are called to that tend to be like these... Uh, narcissist. Yeah, that's the that's the conundrum of uh, leader of uh, rulers. I shouldn't say leaders, but rulers. Is that you're like anybody, anyone who you would actually want to have the amount of power that people like that that Washington D.C. has over the world. Mm -hmm. Anyone who you'd want to be in that position would not want to be in that position. Yeah, they'd have no interest in it. And that's why you get the people who you get. You know, just the most fucking narcissistic fucking people in the world. Can you even imagine, like, is it crazy, like, to be a politician, you have to, like, give a speech about how great you are? Uh, like, they all have to do that. You have to imagine sitting down and giving a speech about how wonderful, I fixed the economy, and I fixed healthcare, and I did this, and I did that. You're like, who the fuck else talks about themselves that way? You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. how great I am. Yeah. And that's what the job is. To yeah. just be this fucking power-hungry narcissist. Yeah. I'm... I'm seeing two people that I'm liking, um, which is Vivek and uh, RFK, and I feel like they're not gonna probably make it. Well, they, they definitely got uphill battles 
Um, yeah, I've, I I like those guys. I've had them both on on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, there there's definitely some areas that I disagree with them pretty strongly. Um, but they're both very interesting uh, campaigns, particularly the RFK campaign. It's just a really really fascinating thing. It's like it feels like um, it's it's got this power about it. Because it's got, it's almost like something like written in out of a novel. You know what I mean? Like what? Like Kennedy? Bobby Kennedy's son yeah. has now returned to t- try to reclaim the Democratic Party, and and he's like such a repudiation of everything the Democrats stand for. Now, like he's like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be arming Ukraine. I know oh, that vaccine they forced on you was fucking horrible, you know, and like might have made you, you know, might have injured a lot of people. And um, and there's something about I just find him to be. He's a very impressive guy. He's very smart. And he's a, I mean, the fact that he's going on a national speaking tour and he can't speak (laughs) and it's working is like pretty unbelievable. Like the guy is so interesting that you can get past how brutal it is to listen to him and actually be interested in listening to him. He's very well, you know, educated. And it was funny. I was listening to Rogan, I think, and there were, Rogan was uh, recommending the job, the real engine, or the book, the real engine, Anthony Fauci. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was like Brian Simpson or something. He was like, I listened to my books. Did he do the, the audio version? And <laughs> Rogan was like, no, he didn't do the audio version. He's like, good, because I couldn't listen to that shit. But he, what he's saying is, you know, it's ringing true, like, with me. And, and same thing with Vivek. My mo- It was funny, about six months ago, my mom was like, there's this new guy, Vivek. He's amazing. And she's a Trump supporter. And I really liked Trump up like 2015, 2016. And my only issue with him was, and this is gonna sound horrible probably, but it's cause his um, stance on China, because yeah. I work with China and I love them. And yeah. they do a really good job at manufacturing. They've been doing it for quite a few years now. And if you know, they want, everybody wants stuff to be made in America, but you try manufacturing something in America. They're all, all the right wingers are just awful on China, man. It's their like biggest Achilles heel. Even when they're smart about some of this other shit or they're, they're onto it, they're just so bad on China. It's, it's just, it's fucking, it's ridiculous. And the amount of fear, it, what's crazy mm-hmm. to me is how much it like is successful. I mean, I, was, I remember when I was on Tim Pool's show and um, I think it was Ian who said it. Um, and he was just like, I was talking about something about how America, you know, like about how like think about the position really of being anti-war is I'm like, hey, you know how our uh, our federal government can't go six months without going on a mass murder campaign in some fucking third world country that is, poses absolutely no threat to us. You know how we do that all the time? That That's bad. We shouldn't do that. Like we should bring our fucking troops home. If we to have a military, they could protect our borders from attacks. They don't need to fucking be over in the middle of fucking, you know, like Everywhere. whatever the the fucking situation between fucking Syria and uh and, and Iran does not require us to drop explosives on children, you know. And and they're like, yeah, but you know, you bring uh, uh you bring all the troops home, and then you know China invades America. And I was like, you see Your China logic. invading America? Like, take me through this. Like, so just take me through this step by step. China, they get on their boats from 7,000 miles away, and they come to attack the homeland 
of the country with the most powerful military in the history of the world and the highest rate of gun ownership amongst its citizens. We would pick them off. Not to mention we also have, you know, a stockpile of a few thousand H-bombs that we fucking just... Yeah. Anyway, but it's all just ridiculous fantasy. You know, it's like... And that right-wingers have this thing where there's always got to be a fantasy of some imminent attack that is so absurd. You know, like it was like in 2002, it was like, dude, Saddam Hussein has this weapon that he doesn't have, and he's about to give it to this terrorist he's not friends with, and they're about to drop it on Kansas. Yeah. Are you scared, Grandma? Well, we better go kill some Iraqi children, you know? And the truth is that China um, poses absolutely no military threat to us. They're not an expansionist country. They're not, they're, for all the talk of them taking over Taiwan, they, they could do it anytime they wanted to, and they haven't. Um, we've we've been a lot more militarily aggressive than either Russia or China in the last 20 years. 100%. Um, and, uh, and trade with China has been like the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. Is it, this doesn't get, this never comes up, but literally the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world has happened over the last 30 years as a, over a billion people have been pulled out of extreme poverty. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's happened all in China and in, some in India, I think, too. Um, and it's all because we fucking trade with them. Yeah. It's all because of fucking trade. Our goods cross borders, armies don't have to, or whatever the old saying is, you know? So yeah. it's like, if you don't want to fucking have uh, another stupid fucking war, one, and this one that could go nuclear, then fucking let's keep letting China make shit for us. Yeah, let's play the game of world economic power. It doesn't have to be about like military power. If we yeah. want to, let's make it a challenge like to stay ahead of them and or, or you know and it, it doesn't have to be this war they're trying to beat us as the the, the superpower and and like uh, by economic standards and we went through our industrial revolution we did all the manufacturing here and it got us to the point where now we're a service economy and they're going to get to the point where they're outsourcing all their shit at some point but it's going in in like uh, levels or you know like there's a word that I'm trying to think <laughs> of, but it's a, it, we all have to go through. It's like getting a job at McDonald's when you're 16. Yeah, you know they're at that level of right. of, of growth, and and they're going to outgrow that, and they're going to be the CEO or whatever at some point. Well, it's also you know like people. So what ends up happening is that people kind of blame the they they blame the outsourcing of our old jobs on why our why our economy is so fucked up here. But really, that is just—it's just like a, a false, uh, like it's a culprit that's not right. Um, what's the term I'm looking for? A scapegoat. Um, the the truth is that we, the Washington D.C., the federal government of the United States, spends six trillion dollars a year. That's six. It's the biggest organization in the history of the world. There's nothing close to it, and that money is all extracted from the American people and then given to like the politically connected class. Mm -hmm. And that's why this fucking the middle of this country has been in stagnation economically. But in their minds, it's very easy to be like, well, you know, there used to be a factory here and now that factory is in China. So if we didn't let that factory go to China, that factory would still be here. But the truth is that it only we'd actually be substantially poorer. Like if the government was doing the same thing and that, and that factory had stayed here, you'd be worse off than you are now. You're actually made wealthier by the fact that it's being done in a more cost-effective way yeah. and now consumer goods are cheaper than they otherwise would have been. Yeah, it's some kind of like law of economics where you have the thing made in the place where it's gonna be made the most efficiently and then we fucking make the cows or whatever and like they do the 
grains and because their land is ripe for that type of shit or their people are really good at making stuff well, and I don't even trust our uh, citizens to to make quality <laughs> products. Well, that's for sure. But there's all, I see I I don't know. I find all this stuff so fascinating. That's why I got like so obsessed with like economists. But so like Bob Murphy puts it this way, which I think is a, a good way to like conceptualize it. Is he goes if the argument is that they're dumping cheap goods on us, right? So if the argument is that that's that's hurting somehow because they're saying they come in and they undercut, you know, what a business here would charge for it. So the good is now cheaper. So you're undercutting our cuts. Okay, so if, if you're saying that giving someone something for cheap uh, makes them poorer, then you, taken to its logical conclusion, you'd have to argue that giving it to us for free would really make us poorer. Yeah. But now look at the argument you've been reduced to. The yeah. argument is that if someone gave you stuff for free, you're poorer for that. But it, because it's just like, look, look at the other side of it. Yes, it's true. If China can produce something because they can pay their people far fucking less, um, and then they can charge less for it, and we have to pay our people more because they expect more money, and so they can't match that price. It's like, okay, yeah, that is bad for the producer over here, but who's that good for? The consumer over here, yeah. right? Yeah. And there's a whole lot more consumers than there are producers. And so people, and look, people probably, look, over the last few years, you've seen what fucking inflation's done, what rising prices has done? What does that do to fucking poor people? What does that do to working class people? It fucking drowns them. So the only way to help them is to get things cheaper so that they can afford them. And you know, people, again, there's a thing that fucking leftists get really wrong. You know, it's always like this, uh, they look at like Walmart or something like that. I'm not saying there's no problems with Walmart, but you look at Walmart and they'll be like, oh, they don't pay high enough wages or they're a big corporation or, you know, whatever. It's some problem. They mm -hmm, kill the mom mm -hmm, and pop shops, mm -hmm. you know. And it's like, fine. Look, even say that's true. Here's what Walmart does. Walmart goes into the poorest parts of America, the most rural poor parts of America, and slashes prices compared to what the market rate is, 40%, 70% cheaper on silly little things like clothing for kids <laughs> and food. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It has it been a lifesaver for poor people throughout this country, and yet like that just goes completely unacknowledged. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, it's like, and then from the people who, who claim to, and I think in some cases genuinely do like care about poor people, mm -hmm. and they're trying to help them, but you're like, but what do you... Look at this company is actually doing that. That's why they're so successful because all those poor people keep going back there to shop for them. And that's also why the fucking the the guy in China will take a job for fucking two dollars a day, as insane as that sounds to us, because that was actually better than what his other option was. Right. And that and actually that's how you level up. That's how these people that's how these billion people got pulled out of extreme poverty. They went from making a dollar and a half a day to making five dollars a day, which seems crazy to us. But to them, that's a huge fucking difference. Yeah, we're all just trying to like that one percent better, get, make your life better for your family, and do what you got to do. And uh, you sh people need to work. Everyone wants to like not work. I like, I love working. You love your job. Oh you yeah. Know? What if you didn't have to do anything? That would be kind of like. Yeah, it's like a weird. It's it's a a thing that it, again, it's a very like um, it's an infantile way of thinking about the world that it would be better if everything was just provided for me than if I went out and earned it. Yeah. And that is correct if you're six months old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's the correct answer for a baby is that everything should be provided for you and you shouldn't have to work for it. And but as like adult human beings, you you are going you're going to live a miserable life. If that's like you might think if someone just gave you ten million dollars and you never did anything for it that you'd be happy, but you wouldn't. No, that's not like that doesn't actually give you like we're 
we're creatures that are we're more than just like economic automatons. You know what I mean? Like we're, life is about meaning and purpose. And uh, even in um, in all work, there is there's meaning and purpose. Like everything, mm-hmm. so everything that's done that someone will pay you to do. Because if someone's paying you to do it, it's producing something. And you know, will you fucking the goddamn civilization is a fucking miracle. You know what I mean? Such an underappreciated miracle. It's all this shit around us that we don't understand at all, and it just works. <laughs> like, there's electricity in this fucking building. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have to worry about fucking, like, freezing to death in the winter, because, like, someone figured that out. And when you walk outside and you just see everything you see, it's all there because people are working mm-hmm. to make it all happen. Yeah. And we're all, like, constantly in this r- world of, like, serving each other without even realizing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and there's, it's just beautiful and complex and insane. It's insane that it all comes together and works. Like, knowing people, you would just be like, no, we'll all just be, like, shitting in the woods and fighting each other to death. We would never figure all this out. And somehow we did. Every now and then, some, like, Elon Musk types, they're really, I mean, in lesser degrees, but, you know, come up with little trinkets and the fucking circuits or whatever that constantly making these micro-improvements over the course of thousands of years to get to the point where we are today. Um, And I'm taking full advantage. I wouldn't be able to run this company the way I'm running it if the internet didn't exist. Right. Because right. I, it affords me reach to billions of potential customers instead of just like the ones in my town. Yeah. And it's always like, it's like with all these things, I'm sure I'm guilty of this uh, myself. I think it's a, like a, uh, we all are to some degree, like it's a natural human instinct to like look at the problems and take for granted what you have. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, it's like, I, I you know, you, People complain about like tech censorship, which is a really big problem. Mm-hmm. I complain about it a lot too. Um, but like, you're also like, okay, look, man, I fucking my whole career is just. If it wasn't for the internet, I'm at a time where, essentially, because of the the climate, the political climate in this culture, there's no big corporation who would work with me. Like that's just not happening. There was ne- I would never get a television show I don't on a network. Why like Coca-Cola and those companies haven't gotten into podcasting bigger or the UFC which I'm trying to break into both of them and I feel like I got in early with podcasting but like it's you're reaching people who are really dedicated listeners to these shows like as opposed to I have to watch you know, ABC morning show or well, so, that's all that's on. So it's all, look, it's all with big corporations. It's all about incentives, right? Big corporations are operating to make money. They're mm-hmm. not, uh, they're not fucking, n- nothing has to do with like, they're like, you know, the founder of Coca-Cola or the CEO of Coca-Cola or whatever isn't just like, I really care about these transgender kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. they're, they're trying to get, but, and you know, what's proof of that is that, you know, where else they advertise Coca-Cola? Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. You think they're putting up pride flags on their uh, billboards in Saudi Arabia? Right. No. no, they're not. Because yeah. that's not what makes them money, right? Yeah. So they put it up here. To be, but then if you go to yourself and you look at, say, with any of these big corporations, if you go, okay, so let's say, um, here's an example, right? Tuck, Tucker Carlson, when he was at Fox News, has the biggest show in cable news, by far, the biggest show. Um, he's, I mean, literally, I think he might have had a show that was four times bigger than the, the audience. It might have been four or five times bigger than the CNN 8 p.m. hour. Couldn't get advertisers. 
no advertisers would would uh, advertise with him. Okay, he had he was running my pillow commercials the entire fucking mm. time. That's all he had. I'm Tucker Carlson. He's like, how many fucking my pillows can the uh, the audience buy? Like, even if like I bought one, it wasn't that great. No, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, it's like you buy one and then you have it. Like, what are you fucking just lining your whole house with my pillows watching right. Tucker Carlson? Um, <laughs> but so so then you got to ask yourself. It's like, okay, so if you're telling me that there's a big corporation that will not advertise on the biggest show to get the most money, right? Mm -hmm. Then the answer is obviously that there's a bigger disincentive there than there is an incentive. That it, they, in their view, it will actually cost them more to be associated with Tucker Carlson uh, and to be advertising on his show. And so here's, there's basically two major factors involved in this. Uh, there's the one from the ground, and then there's the one from the top, okay? So the ground is that left-wing activists are playing for keeps, mm -hmm. and right-wing activists are LARPing. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the fundamental truth in America, that when left-wing activists say they want to do something, they're serious about it. When they say they want fucking gay marriage to be legal, they're going to get gay marriage. Like, they're going to fucking fight for that. Um, when right-wingers say, you'll never take our guns, or something like that, a fucking a new gun control law comes in, and they take your guns. Because yeah. you're not actually ready to shoot at the fucking government, which, by the way, you shouldn't. But, you know, like, because you're not going to win that fight. Um, but it's all a LARP. I mean, I, I watched, you know, all these fucking, like, right-wing militias and shit in this country. Look, in 2020, they shut down their churches, and they sat there and fucking took it. They mm. did nothing. Yeah. Okay? One college professor says, maybe there's a difference between boys and girls, and left-wingers will swarm him. Mm -hmm. He will be fired that mm -hmm. day because they will fucking show up and protest. Yeah. And, um, you know, left-wingers, they will protest. They're they not will working. boycott. Just that's kidding. right. Well, that's it. Right-wingers have uh, families and jobs. Yeah. And left-wingers have time on their hands. And anger. And so they, yeah. so they know that... The amount and, and look, this dynamic is changing a little bit with like the Bud Light shit and the Target shit. It seems like there's a little bit of a of a sea change, but the amount of pressure that left wingers would put on Coca Cola for advertising uh, on Tucker Carlson's show is by by orders of magnitude bigger than the amount of pressure right wingers will put on Coca Cola for not advertising on Tucker Carlson's show. There's no penalty for not doing it. There's a huge penalty for doing it. So that's the bottom one. And then the top one is all about fucking who controls capital and who's fucking, these, these companies are all like desperately addicted to capital. And you know it's like, what is it, BlackRock, Vanguard, and uh, State Streets? Uh, there's three companies that run everything. I've and heard. they run everything because they're, they're connected to the fucking Federal Reserve banking complex. And then they get like all of the um, – and actually Vivek Ramaswamy like wrote a bunch about this. But that the, state, uh, the state's uh, governments, which control the public, uh, the public sector pensions – Right, so like every single public sector job, everyone who has a government job, they all have pensions. Cops, teachers, and and cops, teachers, fucking whatever it is, you know, railroads, whatever the fuck, all of them, uh, some hospitals, stuff like that. They all have pensions, right? And so now the state is in charge of where to invest these pensions. So the state is sitting on enormous, you know, billions of dollars. Is a bit millions of government employees, all this money. Yeah. And so then the state will say, hey, we'll give it to you, BlackRock. But only if you invest in, um, you know, the DEI uh, companies, companies with good diversity, equity, and inclusion scores. Oops. So these cor corporations must be woke, 
or they have no access to this capital. Which if, so, so that's like, which kind of, this is where it all starts to make sense. You're like, oh yeah, that's why every corporation in America is taking a fight on issues that, that push 50% of America away yeah. from them. That like, why would, it, it would seem so obvious, right? That it's just so obvious that if you're a giant company that's selling to Americans all across the political spectrum, and there, say there was none of these perverse financial incentives, there was a free market, what would, what would McDonald's opinion be on abortion? Nothing. Yeah. We don't have an opinion on abortion, motherfucker. Is it, whatever opinion I have, half the country hates my guts. Yeah. This is what Michael Jordan said it bet. People gave him shit for this. It was the greatest thing I ever fuck, he said uh, when they were trying to get him to endorse the, some Democrat uh, for Congress. It was like at the height of Michael Jordan fame. And uh, he was like the first black congressional leader or something. I don't know. They were like, you know, you got to do this for the black community. Endorse this guy. And Michael Jordan goes, Republicans buy sneakers too. Yeah. And it was a great fucking word because that's the that's how a businessman thinks. Yeah. What the fuck are you talking? I gotta fucking sell sneakers to these kids too. Like mm -hmm. I don't want you know. I don't want to cut off. And there's something there's something beautiful about that in business. Like you you're supposed to politics is not supposed to be an all-consuming thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I know it, saying this is someone who's obsessively talks about. And politics. I'm into it too. And as a you know a business owner, I have to toe the line a little bit. But I also feel like you could take a stance and really engage that other 50%, even though you're gonna turn off 50%, those other 50% are gonna be like, kind of more like diehard for your brand because sure. you're, we're, we're, they're never gonna take your gun, sheathunderwear.com. Well, it makes it, it makes sense for some businesses, you know what I mean? I, I don't think, know. Uh, it, well, yeah. I'm sure like if you're like, uh, if you're like making craft beer or something yeah. like that, then it like, it makes sense to just be like, fuck these rednecks, you know what I mean? Because they're not drinking your shit anyway. But not these, these companies who all make money in the red part of America, it doesn't make any sense for them. Um, and so right, I, right. without any of that shit, you can always just like follow the money, follow the incentives, and then it all becomes very obvious. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And it's crazy to me left-wingers don't see through that shit. It's crazy that like something kind of broke in the Obama years. It kind of like broke the, the left half of America. So much of them, and a lot of things went into that. Um, we had to talk about that for fucking five hours. Mm -hmm. But it's crazy that like I look at, because like I'm, I'm like a, I'm a Jewish kid from Brooklyn. I was raised by a single mom. I, my whole life is in a liberal area. Like that's those are my people. I like that's my whole family is liberal. Everyone I grew up with was liberal. You know what I mean? And so like I kind of know it. But then now I look at like some of these young kids, and it's like it's the culture's changed tremendously since then. But I just go like a whole bunch of left wingers will be marching in like the gay pride parade, and you're sitting there, and you're the floats are coming out. And it's the Bank of America float, the, J the, the fucking J.P. Morgan Chase float, you know? Yeah. And it's just kind of like you're sitting there and you're like, that doesn't fucking like raise the hair on the back of your neck at all. Like, it does, that doesn't give you pause for a minute. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying any one of the, forget the cause that you believe in. Let, take for granted that that's correct. Mm -hmm. Everything that you're standing for is correct. How the fuck could all the big banks agree with you? Mm -hmm. Like, what's going on here? Right. Do you think they really care? And these, oops. Uh, and it's like so it's just so obvious what happened right like it's like they are buying you off they're yeah, they buying, don't want you to focus on they're them. buying you off and that for uh, for focusing on social issues yeah distract that's them. what they want you to focus on they, they fucking they, they didn't like you know they don't want you like the left was doing not that long ago they don't want you standing outside big banks screaming we are the one percent yeah. I mean we are the 99 percent yeah sorry got that wrong yeah. uh, <laughs> but like that's that's not what they want but they're quite happy for you to talk about transgender bathrooms. 
They're like, yeah, that's a really important fight. We'll put tons of money behind that fight. Make sure you focus on that. Because that'll really divide people, get them fighting, yeah. and nothing matters. Right. And we keep raking in profits. But, they can't, no, but we... the, crazy, the craziest thing to me, and this is what makes me so frustrated with like, the fucking left-wingers, is it's like they, they don't even realize they, they took this bargain. They're not even aware yeah. that they took it. And they got nothing for it. It's like these fucking bankers. It's not even like, you know, like wouldn't it be, it'd be one thing if, like, uh, let's say Goldman Sachs was like, hey, um, you know, we care about the, these issues, too, or something. And, you know, seeing as how we have a, a little bit of pull in Washington, D.C., like a little bit, we're <laughs> going to kind of lobby them to, like, you know, like maybe, like, not lock up as many black kids for nonviolent crimes. You know, we're going we're, we're gonna to put some pressure on them to, like, not, like, you know, throw fucking black kids in jails and insane rates for no reason. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like they were like, hey, we're going to, like, we're going to put a billion dollars toward a fund of, like, you know, gay kids who are kicked out of their house by their parents to, like, help give them a place. No! We'll give you a float. Mm -hmm. That's all you got mm -hmm. for it. For your silence. For your forgetting about the fact that the big banks are raping all of us. You got a dumb fucking dildo float. That's what you traded it for. Great job, left-wing America. Yeah, you get Biden. You get corruption. They're more corrupt. They used to be like anti-war, free speech, and now they're pro-war, anti-speech. And, and then the followers seem to just be accepting it and, and like cheerleading it well that's we need to censor these certain people who are dangerous when they talk online and shit and yeah it's like you're dangerous like you're the one creating all this mis and disinformation and it's so obvious and they get caught lying a million times and you still trust them yeah well you know like there's a uh, propaganda uh works I need that's to why figure it's it used out so much you know <laughs> i mean it's uh it's it's very effective and like kids today are like uh, they're especially the people who've been through like the universities. I mean, there's just a tremendously propagandized generation. I mean, much more so than almost anything. First off, it's more sophisticated propaganda because we've had years to learn and, and get better at it. Um, and you know, if you, you think about it, it's like there. This is um, it's very unique to our time that you have, let's say, kids who grew up, but basically for almost all of human history, in almost every society, kids were growing up with um, family units, not even this, uh, the, this like nuclear family idea, is almost like a, like a post-World War II, almost like invention that never really existed. You were growing up with family units, I mean yeah. extended families, yeah. you know, like people all around, yes, like, aunts and uncles and cousins and grandmothers and huge families, had eight kids, uh, you know, seven brothers and sisters, uh, your mom and dad and your whole family there together. So you were kind of like raised by that, you know? And then um, you would go into the workforce when you graduated high school. Um, and now, but I'm saying most societies, I, I'm saying that was America particularly, um, but most societies, you were, you were governed your entire life by religion which you know you could argue is its own form of propaganda, but you were governed by kind of like religion and service and nation and all these things. And then today, it's like these kids are growing up with uh, they're quite often single moms, literally no one else, no extended family yeah, in the picture, separated like com completely uh, you know uh, isolated. Right, isolated from that. They are at outrageous rates um, on psychotropic drugs for uh, their, their life, like just insane, Th just giving speed to kids mm -hmm. and it just it, insanity. Yes. Um, 
and then they get put into after high school, even after going through K through 12. You go, no, you need another four years of in-depth. You move into it. You leave your family and just go and get this insane level of propaganda. I'm like, I know, I know college professors. My sister's a college professor. All her friends are college professors. Like, I know that world. I'm not even saying, it's not that they're bad people. They themselves are caught in it, mm -hmm. and they believe in it. You know, it's like this very, college professors are very weird job because these people like they went to school they went to preschool and never left yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. like they went to preschool through 12th grade then they went to college for four years then they said i'm going to go to grad school then they said i'm going to get my phd and then they said i'm going to teach at this school their whole life is school They've and never it's this, gone in the real they're world. so insulated yeah. and then there's this tremendous like um resentment toward business mm -hmm. because businessmen make so much more money than them and they produce things that are of value and they produce nothing except like they are literally like, I mean, I'm not like, I love my sister to death. She's crazy smart. She's a great person. But everywhere, there's so many of these fields where it's like, you know, essentially, and it's almost like an, an open secret. They all know it. They're like, what, you know, what can you do with a sociology degree? You can teach sociology. Yeah. Like that's what you can do with it. You can go become a professor and teach it. It's yeah. like you're just you're just like caught in this weird circular system of and so and then um, because of a lot of weaknesses of the left uh, inherently they were just like completely um, they they were completely declawed to fight against wokeism and as this rise came up it just took over the university system and uh, they so many of them did not believe in it but are terrified to say anything yeah. about it. Like I don't, I, you know, there's so much of this stuff that you know, like a lot of them don't fucking believe in, um, but they're not gonna say that. They would never say it yeah. publicly because they're terrified. And by their nature, um, college professors are not like, they don't tend to be like the tough ones who are willing to take the arrows. They're usually very high IQ, but very low um, in terms of like disagreeable, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. in ter that's why the Jordan Petersons or something like that are such an exception. Yeah. Like the one college professor who's, yeah, right, guys like that. Um, but so anyway, this whole thing just took over and now it's like really like they're, they're like, universities are complete propaganda machines now. People come out with all types of like uh, these, these social and political views that cannot stand up to basic scrutiny like the most basic scrutiny. They could not defend these ideas, but no one ever pushes them on it. They never, they, they've, they've completely removed any type of like, uh, it, you're, it's, it's essentially illegal to have a, a counter opinion there. And so no one has the other opinion there. And so it never gets challenged and it builds up into this whole thing. And then we're like, we live in uh, a patriarchy, fucking some, all this, you know, goddamn garbage. Yeah. It's just, and then, you know, that's what's been interesting now with the rise of the internet is that so many of these right wingers, who I don't really agree with on a lot of shit, but like Ben Shapiro, just became famous simply by going to these fucking university kids and just demonstrating them. that you, you're, these ideas get eviscerated. Like, it's not even just like, oh, like, he made a better point than you. It's like, your thing is so stupid. How the fuck have you been studying this for yeah. four years? This is the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my fucking life. Like, I, like so much of it. Mm -hmm. this, this, the, uh, the whole, like, fucking, I mean, obviously, all the, the gender fucking ideology stuff, it's just like, and again, it's not, I'm not saying, like, don't be a dick to people, okay? Mm -hmm. That's a good rule of thumb in life. Don't be a fucking dick to people. But the idea 
that there is no biological reality to sex yeah. is like the stupidest fucking idea ever, and everyone knows it's bullshit. Right. And yet it's dominant. Right. It's the dominant ideology that everyone knows. I'm sorry, there's, uh, there's two groups of people. There's, about, there's everyone who knows that it's bullshit, and then there's insane people. <laughs> Those are the two groups of yeah. people. And then a whole bunch of the everyone who knows it's bullshit are pretending they don't, they don't know that. Um, and, uh, but it's like a real, like, uh, like, you remember the emperor has no clothes mm -hmm. story? It's like some shit like that. It's like everyone knows, but it's still become the dominant thing and just n no one's willing to call it out. Or no one there is willing to call it out. Yeah. I, uh, my daughter just graduated college. She's 23. She's killing it. She has a job in a leadership program at a major like institution right now that's and, awesome um but she's from t we have these discussions how are we uh well it's 12 now i just want okay. to check if uh let's, let's wrap it up here and yeah, yeah i gotta run down in a in a sec yeah so she but she's you know trying to explain to me why being fat is is actually healthier or <laughs> ideas like this ideas like this actually like like persist yeah fat is really healthy yeah that's sure that's what all the data says exactly and i'm trying to be you know like gentle with her and we, but we have we have uh really good lively debates and she's she's reasonable but she is like caught in these weird idea streams where she's trying to find the proper argument to make her viewpoint legit but it's just it doesn't make any sense and i think that's a lot of it's gonna be it can be tough it's a you know i remember um because i was a liberal my whole life and when i first like got introduced to libertarianism i do remember the feel it's a it's a tough feeling to have like your entire worldview shattered. And to realize you're like, oh my God, I've been wrong about everything. Mm -hmm. is a very like difficult thing. Um, I remember that being kind of painful. It kind of happened uh, to me with the, I mean, I joined the Iraq war based on weapons of mass destruction. Right? Yeah. And then you slowly find out like it was for oil and profits. And I went to a war and I, you know, for that belief and it was propaganda to me that I, I for and and they're falling for their own version of it yeah um, there's a whole there's a whole generation of people like you I talk to a lot of them you know like uh, um, you know uh, vets who uh, are like yo <laughs> I was fucking tricked into some pretty awful shit yeah and uh, and it's yeah it's just a goddamn tragedy it and, is uh, 30,000 of them have fucking blown their brains out over this shit and we work with people we do we sponsor men's mental health awareness type uh, no, it's great. Things, yeah. uh, foundations and shit. But we're trying to do good in the world. You're trying to, you are doing great stuff. You're Thank entertaining you. a lot of people, informing them, making them laugh. You have a new special out, the yeah. Dave Smith special. 30 Minutes with Dave Smith. Go yeah. check it out. And Libertas was, is, uh, you know, always good. To Thank you very much. Huge fan. Um, thank you for coming on. Absolutely, my pleasure. And I would uh, love to do it again sometime. Fuck yeah, absolutely, brother. All right. Um, thank you, everyone, for coming on. Dave Smith, legend, future president <laughs> one day. No, no, please, don't <laughs> sentence me to that. Uh, thank you, and we'll be back uh, next week. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>